All right, we're going to talk about prayer today. And uh, I know this is a topic that we've preached about numerous times, and there's probably so much written about prayer and everything, and it's one of those things that is really, really important. But do we really understand it? Do we have a good understanding of how important it is? And is it really a part of our life? How much is prayer a part of our life? Now, I believe in the power of prayer. I really do. And I know this church does. And I know that people here believe in it. We're commanded to do it, actually. It's not something that's really given as an option. We're commanded to be a praying people. We're commanded by the word that we are to uh, have a relationship through communication with Christ. If we are to be a Christian at all, if we're to have any power in our life, it only comes through prayer. It only comes through that personal supplication and that personal prayer time that we have with the Lord. But even with all that said, prayer is still a mystery. It's a mysterious thing. And I'm going to talk about that today. But I want to start it off by saying that it wasn't intended to be mysterious. <laughs> it wasn't intended to be from the very beginning because prayer in all of its simplicity is simply communication between me and God, or you and God. It is just simple communication. And it was designed to be very straightforward, and it was designed to be very pure, and it was designed to be easy. We see this from the very beginning. In fact, when you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Then, then the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I mean, that's the way God created it from the very beginning was it was face to face. God would come down in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve had been working the garden, doing what they're instructed to do. And at three o'clock or whatever time it happened, God would come down and they would have communion and they would talk and they would have relationship. God would come down and have communion with his created beings. And that was pure and it was undefiled. And i got to imagine it was powerful. And I have to imagine that it brought great relationship between Adam and Eve and God and great joy and great fulfillment. I've got to imagine it was the highlight of the day for both of them, for Adam and Eve as well as for God. That it was a, it was a, a special thing and it was a pure thing. And that was the way God intended for our communication to be from the very beginning of time that it was supposed to be just really fun. And it was something that we wanted to look forward to. And it was something that was supposed to be an enjoyment for us. It was something that we were supposed to get wisdom from and gain understanding from and, and have all the good that God would have would come in this time of communication. But what happened? Continue to read verse 8, and we'll see what happened. Sin got in the middle of all this, and all of a sudden, prayer was broken. Because if you look at the rest of that passage, it said, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called out to the man, where are you? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so it begins. The confusion and the frustration and the miscommunication between God and man began. Why? Because sin got in the middle of it, and broke up that perfect level of communication. 
Now fast forward 6,000 years or so, and no wonder now that we have such a struggle with prayer. No wonder, I mean, the, the enemy has had 6,000 plus years to continue to confuse us and bring all kinds of um, false teachings and all kinds of um, bad influences and bad ideas about prayer. And all I have to say is that it was not God's fault. Who walked away from who that day? It wasn't God walking away from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the ones that were hiding because they're the ones that walked away from God because of their disobedience. Now, I'm just thankful that God didn't just throw them, throw, you know, just say it was a bad idea and I'm just not going to uh, strive with mankind anymore and uh, just, just forget about us and just let us go on our way and just let us stumble and fall and be without hope. Thank God he didn't give up on us. Thank God that he still wants us to have a relationship with him. As broken as we are, he still loves us, and he still wants to have a communication with us. And, and thank the Lord that Jesus came to be that anointed one for us, or the propitiation of our sins, a word we learned today. It is the covering of our sins, and it is the one that took away and he covered the, the anointing of his, uh, of his sacrifice. When I choose him, he gives me that relationship again, so now I can have that level of communication again. And that's what we're going to try to understand about how important the daily prayer is, this daily communication and how it can be restored in our life. So we're going to talk today and maybe over the next few weeks as, as more about it, as, as what is prayer, why do we need it, what can we expect from it, and more. Now I want to start today by going back and I want to read through and talk through a sermon that was given by Martin Luther. Martin Luther was, um, he died in 1546. He was born in 1483, so he's been a gone a while. He was a German priest and a professor, of a professor of theology, and he was the initiator of the Protestant Reformation. Right? Did we all know who Martin Luther was? A very important man to our faith today. Um, Luther taught that salvation is not from good works, but a free gift of God received only by grace through faith in Jesus as the Redeemer from our sin. His theology challenged the authority of the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church by teaching that the Bible is the only source of divinely revealed knowledge. And he was the one that was the primary uh, Reformation agent that truly brought the gospel, the good news of the gospel, back into the life of mankind. He's proven himself to be faithful. So let's listen to what he says about prayer. And I think as we read through this sermon about, uh, about prayer, that we're going to learn some things about how we can apply some things. So um, we're going to read through it, and it's up on, I'm going to put it up on the screen with you as well. So you can read along with me. This is the sermon. Some people claim we can ask God to do things on behalf of people, and know it will be done. It's understandable to think that, for Jesus promised that our prayers would cause things to happen, especially when we keep at it. But look at the biblical intercessors again. Their success was very real, but far from complete. Abraham stuck his neck out with a rightly angry God, but could only save his relatives. Moses' people were spared immediate destruction, but his generation would not get the land God had promised. The next generation did. 
All of David's deep and totally sincere weeping and begging could not save his baby son, though it did set up the birth of his successor. There is no evidence Paul ever lost the thorn in his side. It may have helped his ministry in some ways, but at some point one runs out of lessons from such a thorn. The apostles prayed for the unity of the church and gained much unity, but still had serious divisions. They prayed for each of their poor, but had more poor members by the day. They had hundreds of people constantly praying for their safety, but they died martyrs' deaths. In such cases, God's mercy does not override God's purpose, nor God's justice, not to mention our own wills. We cannot fathom God's purposes or know for certain what God knows about what is to be. God's love simply has a broader, deeper, longer work to do, and sometimes what we pray for simply cannot find a place within that work. The intercessor sometimes must accept even the most bitter of losses with the awareness that their prayers did not and sometimes must not avail. This is the mystery of intercession. We should follow the example of Jesus who prayed on Thursday that he not have to go through what he was to go through that Friday. He prayed, not my will, but thine. In this garden prayer, he was not praying himself into death. He was praying that the confidence that whatever was needed to happen would and should and must happen. And though that apparently meant death, so be it. Jesus taught his disciples to pray that God's purposes be fulfilled everywhere right here on earth, not just in the, in the hereafter. Praying thy will be done is not the same thing as praying with doubt. It is the act of putting your trust in whom it belongs. God has something more in store for you. That is why you get to breathe your next breath. When you step forward in faith, you can stand in that confidence, whatever happens with your specific prayer. None of us are fully aligned with God's purposes. There will always be a difference between the two. It's okay to ask for what you want from the situation. That's a part of being honest with God. You can pray that your request somehow be found in the divine purposes and pray for doorways to a better way if it can't be. If it can't be. Maybe God will provide you a ram as with Abraham when sacrificing Isaac. But God may have other plans and your part is to trust that God's plans will be best. Intercessory prayer does not work by our own power as if we were the Almighty. When prayer is answered, it is answered in God's way, and it may not be at all like the victory you are claiming. Much of the time, the Spirit's main work is to change you, to make you care more, and to get you to focus on what others are going through instead of only seeing it from where you are. Now, maybe that is an interesting perspective, and maybe that differs maybe with what you think prayer is. But Michael mentioned it earlier, we are not a name it, claim it, prosperity teaching church, even though I believe God wants us to prosper. I have no problem with health and strength and all the good things that God gives us. But if I make my focus of prayer to say, Lord, give me more without, Lord, change me first, then I'm missing the point of prayer. And that's exactly what Martin Luther was talking to us here. So let's, let's break this down a little bit into smaller chunks. and Let's try to find more truth here, some nuggets here. Some people claim, he, he said, we can ask God to do things on behalf of people and know it will be done. It's understandable to think that for Jesus promised that our prayers would cause things to happen, especially when we keep at it. And I think if, we wouldn't, if he wouldn't have put that word, especially when we keep at it, I think we would miss so much. Paul talks to the Colossians about being diligent in our prayers. 
that prayer is not just something we pray at dinner and before we go to bed and then think that life is going to be grand. We need to, we need to spend time in prayer. and this, We need to be diligent in our efforts with prayer. Ephesians chapter 6, 18, it talks to us, Paul talks to us, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There is no question here. It's very obvious that we are expected and we are instructed to, play, to pray continuously. And we are to pray with diligence, and we're to pray with fervor. God not only desires our prayers, but he commands us to pray. And then we have to realize that God is always true to his word, no matter what. God never falls short. He never falls short of what he says. But yet it seems in times that our prayers go unanswered, or at least not answered in full. If we go back to what Martin Luther says about this, he talks to us about the biblical intercessors again, and their success was very real, but far from complete. Abraham stuck his neck out, but could only save his relatives. What's he talking about? Remember Lot? Remember Abraham was, was, was interceding over Sodom and Gomorrah, but yet he couldn't save the city. All he could save was Lot and his family, and even Lot's wife turned his back, her back. Moses, people were spared immediate destruction as they were led out of Egypt, but yet that generation, through their unbelief about not being able to take the promised land by the report of the spies, were, that generation was condemned to die in the desert. So for 40 years they wandered the desert, and the next generation was able to enter in. David, through the, ba the baby that he had with Bathsheba, um, as we all know the story, the baby died. Even though David prayed and prayed and begged God and prayed, the baby died. But yet, there was a successor that was, was going to come out of Bathsheba. God used her anyways. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Um, the apostles prayed for unity. And they had great unity, but yet great division, great persecution. They prayed for the poor, but yet they had great poor. They prayed for their safety, yet they all died a martyr's death, right? So where was God in all these prayers? You know, it, it seems that God wasn't there, but yet he answered the prayers. He answered them in the way that God could answer the prayers because of God's perspective of things. Now, these people were all very worthy that the prayers answered. There was not one of these people that we talked about in, in biblical times here that was not living in a way that God should have answered their prayer. So it's not a fault of theirs. And maybe you praying too. Maybe you've been praying about something as well that the, the answer hasn't seemed to come. Well, look at your life, and, and, and probably your life is probably just as, as, as good as Moses' life or David's life. It's not an issue necessarily of something wrong with your life. The issue is maybe God is wanting something bigger to come out of something. Maybe he's looking at it from a little different perspective. We have to understand that God always answers prayers in the way that accomplishes what he's determined to be the best and only the way that he can because he is the creator, and I am just the creation. Going back to Martin Luther's 
words, in such cases, God's mercy does not override God's purpose nor God's justice, not to mention our own wills. We cannot fathom God's purposes or know for certain what God knows about what is to be. God's love simply has a broader, deeper, longer work to do, and sometimes what we pray for simply cannot find a place within that work. That's interesting. The intercessor sometimes must accept even the most bitter of losses with the awareness that their prayers did not and sometimes must not avail. This is the mystery of intercession. This is the mystery of prayer. That's pretty heavy theology right there. That's pretty hard for us to recognize the fact that I could be praying with something and God saying, no, I can't answer that prayer. I can't answer that prayer in the way that you're praying it. Nothing to do with you. You're not a bad person. It's just that God's ways are bigger and higher than ours. Prayer can be confusing when we think that our prayers are the ones that direct God's direction. That if it's me telling God what to do, it can be confusing when God doesn't answer the way I think he should. And that's where the devil gets in the middle of all this. That's when the devil gets in the middle of our prayers. And this is when we need to recognize that we're not the end all here. It's not about me, is it? It's not about you. It's about how we, God wants us to change. We'll get to that to the end in a minute. But can you hear the questions the enemy brings in this time of waiting on God? These are some of the questions that you might have heard. If God really loved you, then why doesn't he answer your prayers? Why does God heal some people and not other people? Why are some people rich and some people poor? Why do bad things happen to good people? You ever heard those questions in your mind before? Have you ever, ever, have you ever battled those questions? Why? 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 The, the questions seem loudest while we're waiting. While I'm in that period of waiting, those questions can be screaming at me, and my doubt can be rising, and it can be very, very difficult. But let's go on with, with what Luther said. Luther mentions here that three things that God's mercy does not override. Three things that God's mercy does not override. God's purpose, God's justice, or our will. Now, we need to understand this so we can have a better understanding of prayer. God's mercy does not override God's purpose. Now, God has a plan for you and I personally and for this church corporately and for our community. God has a plan. He's already set it in motion and he has a plan. But from what I can see and from what you can see, we can't always see God's purposes. We're just not at that position. It's hard for us maybe to understand it. But God's interest for us is higher than our interest for ourselves. We think we're the ones that knows best. But God's saying, guys, I got a better plan. I got a better plan. Sometimes in our haste, we pray contrary to God's will. Do you believe that? Yeah, sometimes we do. Sometimes we put the cart before the horse. And sometimes we're praying for something that God's saying, nah, don't want you to pray that way. But let's be honest, that's just the way we are. Sometimes we want some things that we think are good for us, that we think that would be really make a lot of good sense if I had that. If I had that new car, if I had that extra money, if I had that bigger house, if I had all that, I could do so much more for the kingdom. Well, hang on to that thought. Proverbs 16, 1 and 2, To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. You see, if I could see, if we could see the issues 
that God sees from his perspective. If we could climb the mountain to see the longer distance, if we could get that long-term perspective that God has, we might have an easier time when prayers don't seem to be answered the way I think they should be answered. So in the meantime, all we can do is learn to trust. We learn to trust God that he has everything under control. All right, so that's number one. God does not override his purpose. God's mercy does not override God's justice. The second thing that Luther talked about. See, when God gave man free will, that automatically comes with consequences. Free will comes with consequences. When Adam and Eve ate the apple from the forbidden tree of good and evil, they unleashed the law of consequences on all mankind. This is one of the things God cannot overturn for us. And thus, if we pray that the consequences of our actions be removed, then we're not praying the will of God. Now, hang with me here. I cannot ask God to take away the consequences of my poor choices. It's hard to handle sometimes because God's saying, I need you to get through those. I need you to bear the, the lesson learned. And when we get that lesson learned, God is there to help us. Now, understand that the prophet Isaiah tells us that God's not only are we to bear our consequences, but he is there to help us get through it. He's going to carry us through the situations. And I know this is kind of hard. I know this makes us feel a little bit stressed right now because when we all have consequences. We've all done things wrong, right? And, and I, I get that. I have too. But understand that God is not going to allow you to go through those things alone, okay? Isaiah 41.10, So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Fortunately, the blood of Christ and the cross is the largest. He removed the largest consequence of death and sin with that. God has taken the consequences of, of, God's, or of God's justice by giving us Jesus. And Jesus then bore that sin that we could not bear. And so we have that, but there are still consequences in our daily lives that God just can't remove. So rather than pray that God remove the justice of the consequence, that God's will be done as we go through it, we learn the process of learning how to live with God's mercy and grace in, as we are walking through this life. And we're walking through, and, and this is reality because this is the truth we need to hear because otherwise we'll be deceived and we'll be frustrated, wondering why can't I gain victory in every area? Because there are just things that I've done and I've got to deal the consequences of it. But God will help me get through it. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then James chapter 1, he tells us, beginning at verse 2, "'Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters,' Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not not lacking anything. God uses the troubles and the sufferings and the mishaps in our life to perfect us, to mature us. It's not in his will to take those away until he's done the job. 
if he takes them away and we're not perfected, if we're not matured, if we're not in the process, then he's not doing us any favors. Paul understood this because in his weakest moment, he was the strongest in the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, Paul said, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you want to mess with Satan? Do you want to mess with him? Then prove it to him. Then take the position that you're stronger in your weakness than he is in all of his strength. When you're beaten down and when you're at your wit's end and you just cannot, you can't do anything else but look up to Christ, understand that you're stronger there than you are if you had all the money in the world and you were living on top of the world and you didn't have a need in the world. Recognize that in your weakness, you're the strongest. And if you want to mess with Satan, tell him that. Satan, go ahead. Yeah, I'm beat up right now. I'm pretty whipped. But, you know, I'm stronger than you are in Christ Jesus. In my weakness, I'm stronger than you are. That'll turn him, that'll shut him down. He cannot win that battle. When you recognize your strength in Christ as you are weak in your physical self, then you are the strongest spiritually. That's a great word. Number three, God's mercy does not override our will. Once again, when mankind was created, God gave us free will to live and act as we want to, and God cannot or will not force himself on us to make us change our mind. He will lead us down some paths, thankfully, that, and, and, and kind of move us in directions but we must surrender our will to him. He will not override our will. That power of choice that you and I have is pretty powerful stuff. He promises us to give us wisdom, though, when we ask. When I have that need and I say, God, I need your wisdom, and if I'm willing to break my will, if I'm willing to break myself down and say, God, I'm at my wit's end here, I need wisdom, what's he going to do? James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. There's that will thing again. If I'm going to ask God's, for, for God's wisdom, then I need to have the, the mindset that I'm going to accept his wisdom. I'm going to have the mindset that I'm going to surrender my will to his wisdom, whatever it may be. Whatever it may look like, it might put me in a hard spot. It may stretch me physically or spiritually, emotionally, financially, whatever it is. But when I ask God for wisdom and he gives it to me, I better accept it. I better break my will. I better say, okay, God, I've, I've asked, you're given it, and now I'm going to walk in it. And I'm going to trust you in it. We need to pray so that our purposes line up with his purposes for our lives. We have the privilege this is, this is really amazing. We have the privilege and we have the responsibility to live as close to God as we can so that our will doesn't move very far from His will. When I can get my will lined up with His will that way, I am powerful. And I can pray God's will be done at that, that moment in time and expect it because my will is lined up with His will. 
And when I'm not trying to change God's will, but when I'm allowing my will to be changed towards his purposes, powerful prayers, powerful life. But I need to make sure that I'm lining up with him, not trying to force him to line up with me. Makes a big difference there, doesn't it? Amen. Let's go back and jump in with Martin Luther again. Go back. He says, we should follow the example of Jesus. <laughs> what better example to follow? Who prayed on Thursday that he may not have to go through what he was to go through that Friday. He prayed in the garden, not my will but thine. He was not praying himself unto death. He was praying with the confidence that whatever was needed to happen would and should and must happen, and though that apparently meant death, so be it. That's the way Jesus prayed. Jesus taught his disciples to pray that God's purposes be fulfilled everywhere, right here on earth, not just in the hereafter. Praying thy will be done. And I've heard some people say, when you pray in God's will, that your will be done, that's a prayer of doubt because you're not taking command of the situation. Well, praying thy will be done is not the same thing as praying with doubt. It is the act of putting your trust in whom it belongs. When I pray God's will be done, understand those are the prayers that are going to be answered. Right? That's why I pray in the Spirit. That's why I pray with the heavenly prayer language. Because when I know that that Holy Spirit is praying God's will in my life, those are the prayers that get answered. And the amazing part of it is, I may not even know exactly what I'm praying for, but yet I see the evidence of God's answers in my life and in other people's lives, and that's what it's about. See, God has something more in store for you. That is why you get to breathe your next breath. When you step forward in faith, you can stand in that confidence Whatever happens then with your specific prayer. This is another trick of the devil in your prayer life. He would convince us that if we don't get the answers we want in our prayers, then we're defeated in our prayer life. So the temptation is to stop praying altogether. Is that true? Yeah, I know. I've been tempted that same way. If I'm not getting, the way I'm, if I'm not getting my prayers answered, then why pray? And Jesus is the example of how we should accept the things that just have to happen and not lose our faith as though God left us in those tough times. Can you imagine what Jesus would have been like? How, how difficult it would have been for him to go through what he had to go through if he really felt that God left him in that time? No. When Jesus accepted God's will over his, this wasn't a defeat in his prayer life. It was a fulfillment of his prayer life because he then truly could pray, God, thy will be done. Thy will be done. As we define prayer as a conversation with God as in our relationship, we can begin to see it as an opportunity where God is speaking to us. It's a question and answer period. We can pray, God can answer. We listen, we, we then move, and we're directed by him. It's a relationship. And that's the pattern we need to follow in that, in that we are talking to God. We are asking for his wisdom. We are asking for what he wants in our life, and then we act that out. Let's continue. None of us are fully aligned with God's purposes. There will always be a difference between the two. It's okay to ask for what you want from the situation. That's part of being honest with God. You can pray that your request somehow be find in, found in a divine purposes and pray for doorways to a better way. But God may have other plans. And your part is to trust that God's plans will be best. You know what that's called? 
spiritual maturity. It's called growing up in Christ. It's learning to trust Him, knowing that He really does have our best interest at heart. That our prayers should be more, more of line us up with your purpose rather than gimme, gimme, gimme. Take me, Lord. Show me what you want. Show me what you want in my life because I know your purposes are bigger than mine and that's what I want. So let's go there. Let's spend my time praying that prayer. God has a plan. He won't override his purpose, his justice, or our will. And he, offers, and he often answers in partial answers, as was proven. Now, I got to tell you, the enemy is really insistent to discourage us for praying if we feel the fact that God's going to answer it the way he wants to answer it anyways. Um, so why pray? Why pray? Well, let me just give you a little encouragement on why to pray. If you believe the fact that God really has plans that are bigger than yours, and if you really do believe that he has the ability to reward in great benefits, do you want to be included in that? Because if you just say, God, I'm not going to pray because you get your way anyways, then he'll say, fine. Then I'm not going to bless you. Then I'm going to get my way, and you're going to be left on the side with nothing. I mean, I'm really simplifying it here, but in reality, that's what happened. That's what's happening. God's going to, if, if you refuse to do what God's asking you to do, he'll say, okay, I'll find somebody else. I'll find somebody else to pick up your spot. But here's the problem. You're going to lose your reward. So what do you want? Do you want to have a, a, a great reward? Do you want God to look at you at some time in the future, and it could be very near, and say, well done, good and faithful, enter into your master's happiness? If you do, then keep praying. Keep praying. You may not get what you want necessarily because, again, our wills may not be lined up exactly. And God may be answering it this way, and, and, and you're wanting it this way, but just keep praying anyways. Don't give up on prayer. Keep interceding. Keep, keep asking, and keep asking for God's direction in it, because when you line up with him, when, when you get on the team, he rewards the team members. So do you want to be a team member to be rewarded? Then keep praying. That's the best thing I can do. That's the, that's the best encouragement I can give us at all. When we don't think we're winning, when we think our prayers are, are, are useless or are powerless, that's just the enemy screaming lies at us. Don't believe him. Don't believe the enemy. He tries to dominate us and he tries to intimidate us. But that's all it is. Let's continue finally finishing up with, with Martin Luther. Intercessory prayer, then, does not work by our own power as if we were the Almighty. When prayer is answered, it is answered in God's way, and it may not be at all like the victory you are claiming. Much of the time, the Spirit's main work is to change you, to make you, more, to, to make you care more, and to get you to focus on what others are going through instead of only seeing it from where you are. I think that's the most important thing we can get out of this session today is that we can look at it and say prayer is really about God changing me. If you want things, if you want it to be all about you, then pray this way, God change me. <laughs> change me so that it can be all about me lining up with you. But, if you, it, but that's, the, that's the essence of prayer, and that God says, I love you so much, I will change you so that you will line up with my will, line up with my word, and then great things will be accomplished. 
I love Psalm, Psalm 37 because this is the psalm that helps us understand how we do this. Psalm 37, verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy, and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I mean, what he's saying here is spend time getting to know Jesus. Spend time delighting yourself in the Lord. Spend time enjoying the safety of the pastures. And then He will do it amazing work. He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, the way I like to look at this, and I've said this before, the way I like to look at this is that he's not giving me what I want, but he's giving me the desires of my heart to match it with his heart. Because that's the true, that's true um, joy. That's true confidence. That's true peace. When my desires line up with his desires and he gives them to me, Man, there's nothing that can take that away. There's nothing that can rob, my, rob me of my joy at that point in time. And then he says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will make your righteousness reward like the, shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the, and wait patiently before him. Prayer is developing our personal relationship with God. That's what it is. It's developing the process of being changed into a person that can truly pray God's will be the desire of my heart so that I can see God's plans succeed. I can see God's plans succeed in my life, in my family, in this church, and in this community. Is that, do you want to be a difference maker? That's how we be a difference maker, by lining our life up with God. Jackie, if you'd come, we'll wind this up here pretty quick. Paul really helps us in Romans how to do this. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Again, there's our weaknesses. We're not alone. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And if that doesn't give you confidence, if it doesn't give you peace, then nothing will. If you're, if you're serving Jesus, and if you are saying, God, I want, your, I want your purposes to be manifested in my life, then pray that way. Pray in the spirit. Pray, ask him to line you up and when I can understand that version of prayer, it will change my perspective on life. It will change my perspective on why am I here? What am I doing? Where am I going? My encouragement this morning is to challenge us how we pray. Challenge you and I to examine our hearts, our motives when I pray. Why do I pray? Yeah. The writer of Hebrews gives us the perfect way to pray. This isn't a message. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. So friends, <laughs> we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God, into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So let's do it, full of belief, confident that we are presentable inside and out, Let's keep a firm grip on the promises and keep that keep us going. 
He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the day approaching. That's how important prayer is. That's how important you and I are to each other, that we would encourage each other and pray with and for each other. So I want to end by praying this morning. I want to first pray. for I want to pray that this message would be evident. And then I want to just open up the time that we would pray together for any needs that we might have. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you've given us good instruction on prayer. That you tell us the truth about when we pray that we may or may not get what we think we are, should get. But Lord, we do know that when we pray with the right heart, we can trust you that the prayer will be answered in the best way for us. Help us in that, Lord. Help us truly to break our will before you and to, and to uh, honor you with that way. So, Father, I pray that you would just make this evident and make revelation knowledge into our spirits today as we pray by the blood of Christ and the power of Jesus' name. And we ask this to be done according to your great will and your perfect will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.